Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Moving Into the Future. Today, we are joined by Francis Cahill of Creative Office Pavilion. He's an account executive there. Uh, Francis, thanks for joining us today. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. We, uh, we've been working on our own little uh, project together, and uh, you know, we, we were talking about this podcast. I wanted to get you in because you're an interesting dude. <laughs> you've, had, uh, you've had some good experience. Um, and you know, let's get right to it because you told me this story and I think it's great. You know, you've basically spent your entire career in sales and, and you got started really in high school, right? Yeah, summer uh, right after I graduated. Um, the high school I went to, we actually graduated in early May. So uh, I needed a job to get me through from early May to, uh, to college and got a letter in the mail saying uh, to sell knives. You probably heard I was your Cutco kid. And um, I thought it was right up the block from me and I thought I'd just make like 16 bucks an hour, but it was no idea. That's not what it was. Um, <laughs> you know, at the time I was, you know, selling knives, thought, thought I was, you know, swinging deals. But it really kind of looking back laid the groundwork of like how I got into sales and, you know, learned cold calling and, you know, block timing and scheduling your calls and, and all that. So uh, I'm sorry to anyone that listens if I called your mom or your aunt or your uncle for, uh, <laughs> to come into your living room and sell knives to them. Well, right. But the but the really, you know, you're, you're burying the lead here. And this is, you know, how it starts as a salesperson. When you start from the bottom, you were going in your yearbook where all of your classmates numbers were listed and, <laughs> and, and using that as your, uh, you know, your, your leads list, right? Well, yeah, they, um, you know, one of the first things they ask is like, hey, you know, who, how are you going to get your, your calls and how are you going to get your leads? And I knew none of my aunts or uncles were <laughs> going to take me serious and, uh, you know, buy some knives for me. So I just got this yearbook and uh, I turned it over one day and it was everybody's contact and I just kind of had a whole like 400 person phone list and just hit the books and luck. Thank, thank God that they were all um, very, you know, I went to Chaminade High School, a very close knit community and uh, built on support. And, you know, so they really helped me out. There you go. If that's not the start of a, you know, a great <laughs> salesperson, then I don't know what is. So then, um, you know, you got your start at WB and, uh, you know, that's really where you got introduced to, to furniture and doing projects there. Uh, what was it? You did you did a small project there, and and you know you you really enjoyed that, right? Yeah. Well, I started at WB, and uh, just kind of how everybody does. I was on the streets in Astoria, and I had that territory. And WB Mason is, I think, the private, the largest privately owned office supply company uh, company in the country. So I started off selling copy paper and office supplies and building relationships. But they also have a furniture division. Who, um, you know, one of my best friends to this day was my manager. And would take me along on jobs and, and teach me this and it kind of was you know it wasn't a transactional sale and I, I learned you know that there was this furniture world out there and um, I ended up taking over one of our larger accounts who had a job at Four World Trade Center and that's where my eyes kind of like opened up it was like there's this whole real estate industry out there and you know where you're working with teams and you're learning and that's what i realized that there's so much for me to learn and to grow in this industry i was in a similar position i was doing residential moving for a while and then i remember i did my first office move and i was like wow there's like a way bigger world out there and you know it's you can make good money doing it like there, there's more money you know in, in that side of things so you know i definitely understand where you're coming from there and uh you know on that first project what was it that you know you really enjoyed about office furniture specifically and and in that you know that project process and, and everything that that was entailed within that yeah well i mean i had no business being there right like <laughs> it was like i maybe did like 
you know, a couple furniture jobs, like mom and pop stores. And now I'm sitting in, you know, with people who have been doing this for years and years and years. So like I said, there was just like this sense of, wow, I, I got to step up my game and, you know, I got to learn more and I, and I got to act a little bit better. And, um, but also just like hard work, it was rewarding. Like we put in hours and hours of stuff and it wasn't, you know, me and uh, Andrew would, would come back and we're working until nine, 10 o'clock to, to get things done. And uh, it was just like this sense of gratitude and reward when it was finished was different than, you know, slinging copy paper, right. and, you know, which isn't easy work either, but this was a little bit, you know, more rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly know how that is because, uh, again, we're we're at very uh, similar points of the of the process. You know that the furniture installation, the office move, they they happen so close to the opening. So to see that finished product is always very rewarding. Yeah. Um, you know, on, on my end as well. So you know, you it, it's nice that you got to see that and you got to experience it from from that level. And then you went out and and, and were looking for different opportunities. Um, you know, what was it about Creative Office Pavilion that really separated them from, you know, the other uh, furniture dealers that you were thinking about joining? Yeah, well, I, like I said, I, I knew this world was out there and I was like, if I'm going to stick with this, I want to, you know, dive in. And, um, you know, Herman Miller is a brand that I, that I was always up against and, you know, everybody knows the Aaron chair and it's, you know, at the time I didn't know how big of a company it was because I was not in that, that market. But I knew I wanted to go to a Herman Miller dealer, so I got in touch with uh, Patrick Kays and uh, Kim Pinkerton. I met them, you know, my who are president and vice president, and uh, it was really the people there. And I, I met them. I've learned about how COP, you know, was in business for 30 years, but Kim and Patrick really built this for about seven, six years ago when I was there. So it seemed like I had a good opportunity to get in on like the ground floor, but with like you know a proven business and Herman Miller, the brand behind me. Yeah, that Herman Miller brand. I mean, there there really is nothing like it. And you know, when Kevin Kennedy was on, we we did talk about that merger and everything that entails. And you know, the world we, we referred to it as like a galaxy and universe that that's going to open up. And 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 I do agree too. You know, as far as Creative Office Pavilion goes, it, it does offer a level of um, you know professionalism and um, resources that are that are you know very very valuable to a, to a salesperson like you. So you know. As you were developed there and growing there, you know, what, what were you finding that you really enjoyed about, you know, working with these clients and, 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 and providing them with office furniture? You know, what did you find your, your strengths were that, that were separating you from from your competition? Well, well, to kind of go back to what was I enjoying about it? It really you get to, you know, furniture if you're not in it or if you're not, you know, you know responsible for procuring it you really have to learn about how the end user's working and you know what is it it's, it's not just that is what is the goals of the client of of the client and how it fits into their future and so you need to learn if they're if if they're working 24 hour shifts 8 hour shifts if you know what what's what's their end user experience like so i really thought that was cool rather than just coming in and selling one product you're really creating something that's going to work for that client and for a specific reason um, with COP to your second point it's the process right like there's a proven process and you know every furniture job's a little bit different but really the process and you know getting to it is the same you got to break it down and you know there's to we like to say that you know it's a complex job but at the end it's really simple there's you got to the details are you know in between each step and you can't really cut corners so we really do look at the details and break down every single step from being awarded to, you know, that 
day one uh, user comes in. So that's what I learned that it takes that level of planning and detail and the eye to, to do that. Yeah, you know, I think like a, a misconception you know, from outside the furniture industry is like, you know, you order all this furniture and then it just shows up to the warehouse all at the same time and it gets delivered at the same time. And like, that's not the case. You know, there are so many different, first of all, you know, I'm sure COP offers a variety of different lines, you know, and when the client chooses these lines, there's delivery spreads that are different and whatever it may be, it takes a lot of planning and a lot of thinking on your feet to, 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 to be dynamic and, and flexible with what's going on. So when it comes all together, you know, it, 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 again, you know, we're stemming back to that. It is very rewarding. You know, you were talking about before though, like really understanding your client and their needs. Um, what, what type of clients do you see yourself, you know, working with most commonly? And then, you know, what are some like unique clients who you work with, uh, you know, where like this was a really interesting project or, or, or something different, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, like our bread and butter, you know, like you said, we do offer over, I think it's like 300 open lines. Um, we're aligned with Herman Miller, so we do have a wide breadth of product offerings. But, you know, the large corporate interior is, is our bread and butter because, you know, we, it's, it's, what, it's what we're proven on and what we're designed to do. Um, one of my most fav- recent favorite projects, we were working with a landlord um, uptown. And this was, you know, right in the middle of COVID and it was you know, before the whole talk of returning to the office in future. And they just had four floors that was just like warehousing storage. And they said, you know what, we want to just make this, you know, our tenants are going to come in here and this is going to be their amenity space. And cool. that was very different for me, right? Because we were not specking workstations. We were not specking the usual floor plate. And now it's all we're talking about is how are we going into and doing more co- collaboration. So that was really, really cool to see that project come in and over the last two weeks I've been on site and I'm seeing that come through and seeing the tenants come in and use that, you know, conference room table that we spent months specking. And so that was very cool. Yeah, that is really cool. And it's, 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 it's interesting too, because, you know, through the pandemic we're we're obviously, you know, a lot of the talk was people are getting rid of their office spaces. They don't need it anymore. You know, they're, they're going to these hybrid models where they're downsizing. So one of the questions that I've always had is, you know, there still is all this space in Manhattan, you know, what are we doing with it? How are we repurposing it to still serve an appropriate function based on people's needs? So to hear that, you know, you're doing projects like that is, is, is really, really cool. What type of amenities, you know, besides like conference rooms, are they putting in that space? You know, what else that's, that you found interesting or a little neat, you know, is it just a lot of, um, like lounge area spaces and, and like, you know, comfortable, almost like residential uh, spaces, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah, where people can work. Is it a lot of that? Yeah. So like what we call what they were calling the study, which is basically like their, your living room. You can go in there. You need to take a break. You need to maybe close the door, have some focus time, but, you know, not sit on a bar stool or not sit on your task chair. You come in and sit on your couch, um, almost feel like you're in your living room, which is kind of what we're going to have to be creating is people are used to working at home for the past 18 months, you know, you're going to need to come in and have some individualized focus work, but you know, you're not used to that. It's changing. So it was nice to see that you only have this, you know, you have this living room area, but you can get up to the conference room. You can go to the bar height table. You can go to the terrace and work outside, or you could sit on the, the nice couch out there. Um, but yeah, you're seeing that residential field definitely come into the, to the office. Yeah. Yeah. Most certainly. And it's, it's, it's so nice when, you know, buildings and and companies do offer 
that resource to you know and that that dynamic solution to, to people's needs because that is the major concern right now is is working from home you know it's it's interesting actually i was just reading an article on this the people always used to complain about the distractions at work you know whether it's a coworker who's chatty or or you know it's it, it could be anything um but at home you're getting a lot of those same distractions you know whether it be with you know families or your pets or or whatever it may be they could be doing construction work i guess that's anywhere in new york but you know there, there's just these distractions and just knowing that either companies or buildings are going to be um providing those solutions is is nice and, and that kind of brings me you know in, in, into my next point and something i wanted to find out from you i'm sure at the beginning of the pandemic you were seeing a lot of companies offer work at work from home you know office uh, solutions. Is that correct? You know, were you doing a lot of those type of uh, projects for clients and stuff like that? I wouldn't say a lot. We definitely saw it. I, I had um, two off the top of my head clients who, you know, picked up no longer in the office and are fully remote, you know, to this day, right? And plan to be for a little bit. Um, but most of my, you know, clients are, or what I'm seeing out there is, you know, we're, we're going to go back to, to hybrid. So, Yes, there is a, a program in play for home to make people comfortable when they're working at home, but um, and also manufacturers do have uh, you, you know you're seeing like your test chair, your basic desk, and you know the basics for a home a home essentials, and you can get it delivered to your door. So there are those programs that are in 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 place right now, but mostly it's how are we redesigning the office to get people to to come back in here and you know, experience what they liked at home in the office. Right. And, but also, you know, kind of best of both worlds. Right. And, and let's talk about that because we did kind of stem on it, you know, as far as having that um, residential comfort in the workplace. But what other type of, you know, furniture solutions are you seeing from uh, clients um, that are helping, you know, draw employees back into the space? You know, um, is it not just like functional conference rooms, but also like, you know, quiet spaces, um, stuff like that. Can, can you, um, you know, enlighten us a little bit more on that? Yeah, there's definitely different products, you know, um, there's, there's framery booths, which, um, and, and definitely different lines of, of phone booths where they're designed to kind of create that, um, you know, quasi meeting space. You can go in there, there's a single booth, but, um, it's not so much that there's the, this was all happening before COVID, right. right? This this is not this is accelerated. Right. What what I see the the biggest change is going to be is how much of the floor plate is dedicated to the collaborative collaboration areas versus the assigned. So not so much that these products are there's definitely new products coming out. There's always going to be, but you know where eighty percent of the office used to be dedicated to cramming and benching and let's get everybody in here their heads down at the desk. And 20% of it is for the cafeteria or for the uh, the collaboration area, which was really just, you know, let's meet at a laptop and, right. and talk. Now it's going to be reversed. Maybe, I don't know, about 80-20 collaboration, but definitely closer that way where, you know, unassigned seating and people are just coming in. Their, their focus work is going to be at a desk, not their desk. But I know in my office right now, people want that meeting room because I want my team to have the nice meeting room or the big meeting room. So... You know, like you kind of touched on it, conference rooms are going to need to be, um, you know, we're seeing it's more just not about what it is, the experience there. It's it's also what's the experience for your team member at home. Like is it used to just be plugging in your laptop, make sure you have an HDMI. 
connection, but um, that conference room is also now going to have to be designed to have that end user experience who's not in the conference room, stuff like that. So, yeah, kind of went a couple different directions there. But no, <laughs> but that that does stem like a you know an interesting thought is is as far as you know those those conference rooms and and making them functional for the people at home. What is it going to be, or you know, I don't necessarily think you're going to you're think you're going to have that answer. But like as far as, you know, how you can make it inviting, you know, is it good acoustics? Is it like the right AV setup? You know, like, is it just like, a, a, you know, is it aesthetic? Is it does it need to be aesthetically pleasing where, you know, they feel like they're in the room in some sense? You know, how do you see that setting up? And, and you know, what do you think you can do from your position as a furniture dealer to uh, help with that? Well, you know, aesthetics is the conference room, the boardroom is always, you know, client facing and aesthetic. That's, you know, where people want to spend their money, you know, understandably so, because that's where the client's coming in. But maybe the client's not coming in anymore or as frequently as there is. Um, you know, how I can do is <laughs> my first thing is understand how you, the client, want to want your conference room to work. But I do think it's going to be more of how my furniture or how our furniture is interacting with the AV team, is interacting with the technology, is interacting with, you know, what platform do you use? Are you a Zoom house? Are you a Microsoft Teams house? Um, how easy it is to come and connect if you're rushing into a meeting or like, you know, set up. Maybe it's not having that overflow seating where you used to see a 36-person right. boardroom table and then, you know, have some benches around. Maybe that money's coming in to, to making a... Um, a more futuristic conference room that's going to connect to, you know, the cloud to connect to home, connect to you, the user. Yeah. Yeah. That's all really interesting to think about. And, and we were talking about it a little too, you know, and you mentioned it conference room, having these different functions and different purposes, I think are going to be a, a big uh, result of, of this pandemic and, and, you know, the, the new workspace, you know, so often conference rooms were predicated upon, you mentioned it, the number of people you could fit in there, you know, whether it's a six person or, an, you know, a 12 person, whatever it may be, you know, obviously, and that's based on space. But I think it's going to be so important to, to make sure that that space is being utilized as, as best as possible because of the hybrid model that we're going to see these different functions and, um, in conference room, whereas, you know, one conference room is designated to only in person, you know, yeah. you know, that we, we know that there's going to be our entire team of six people on site today. We don't need to worry about having, you know, great AV set up. But what we really need is, you know, whiteboards and, uh, you know, whatever it may be, like the, the necessary collaboration tools to really do our job well, um, you know, even if it's like a, you know, a platter printer or something like that with, you know, big tables that we can lay out, you know, drafts on and stuff like that. You know, I, th I think we'll see a lot more of that. You know, do, do you think that that's similar? And have you been seeing that at all yet? Yeah, absolutely. And just something you said before, too, where it's like maybe you're going to have different types of conference rooms. But, you know, I know we have a smaller conference room that I personally like to use. It's 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 um. You know, we know that human beings, you know, perform better at, in different postures and, and different comfortabilities. So we have a, a bar height round table where everybody's sitting in the same eyesight um, uh, sight lines. I like to do outside presentations there. If I know I have to, you know, do a pitch or something in that conference room, I feel more comfortable there. So you're going to, you know, maybe these conference rooms are designed for exactly, like you said, there's going to be the internal only or the client facing only rather than this is, you know, when the client comes in the office, this is where we put them in the nice one. When I'm talking to the client outside or if I'm talking internally 
maybe it's not that that you know 84 inch by 36 inch conference table for internal use maybe there's couches you know it's still a conference room but maybe it, it maybe there's not a table there at all when you're meeting with your internal team you're just you know sitting back like you would at home and right. just you know collaborating innovating and, and, and getting stuff done exactly yeah i think that's really really cool and then stemming outside the conference rooms you know i've always been um of the thought that spaces are going to be need to be made to be more retail oriented where you're drawing employees in your drawing clients in yep. um and see again from my position you know i'm not the furniture professional uh i have my you know opinions obviously but you know that that's not where my uh, expertise lies have you been seeing that at all where clients are rethinking their spaces to be more of that retail oriented space and how are they changing their furniture dynamics in order to fit that new idea. I think that goes into what we were saying about how the floor plate is going to change, right? Like, you know, it depends on the square footage of the project, but if you have 100,000 square feet where 80% of that used to go to your, your dedicated workstation, maybe now that 80% that we just said is going to flip to collaboration, but of that collaboration space is going to be you know, your brand, in-your-face logos. If you're selling a, pro a physical product, you're going to have your showroom in there. You're going to be more, feel like a clubhouse where you don't have to go and rent out a restaurant to have an event. You don't have to go, um, you know, outside of your office. You bring clients into that in-your-face brand experience. and show off your, exp yeah. exa your experience, right? Like, we're all looking for that experience and we're all very brand-oriented. Why do I listen to Spotify over this, you know, whatever? If you can dedicate a square footage of your office, imagine that, and just you know get your client in exactly, show them right there what you're all about without leaving your own space. Hundred percent. Yeah, we're like and and see, this is the other important thing. You know, again, we're in the same age bracket, uh, but we're seeing decision makers, you know, starting to become in our age bracket more and more too. And we are such like a social media generation where we do things for the experience to post on social media, you know, whether it's the music festivals or, you know, the sporting events or even whatever, the the, the street fairs, yep. you know. Um, we do it for the experience so that we can post it on social media and show people what we're doing. So if companies can strategically implement that experience into their brand and office space, I think those are the ones who are going to see the most success coming out of this in terms of getting their employees back into the space because you know, where it could get really interesting is, you know, they're bringing in their, their friends to the office too, you know, who, who might need a spot or something like that. And, you know, it, it's almost like the, uh, like the WeWork co-working mentality, except it is your brand, your company. And again, that's how you rebuild the culture that so many companies are concerned about. And I think, you know, one of the things me and you really are proponents of is that in-person collaboration and, and from a project standpoint, you know, not relying so much on technology to make decisions for you, but letting the relationships and, you know, experience on the front end be the most deciding factor. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, what, wouldn't you say that? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's something that we kind of lost over the last 18 months. It wasn't something we wanted to, but it was, you know, we were all forced into it. Um, but you need that personal, you know, <laughs> Even my team saw it, right? Like where how quick we were getting things done when we were sitting around a table for lock ourselves in a room for four hours. But, you know, 
um, imagine, you know, taking, like you said, taking that entire experience with, with your brand and bringing it in house and what you can do to have your clients all under the same, you know, welcome into your office and see your employees are all right there. We see it so much in the sense of these RFP bids where, you know, they're essentially sending them out uh, and, you know, they, they expect us to just take this information and then regurgitate these presentations back to them where then they can make a decision often based on price. And, you know, that's not always the most advantageous way to do things for the client at hand. Right. Yeah. You know, so I think like that's something too that, that we'd like to see. And now, you know, bringing a full circle, if creative office pavilion has this beautiful space where they really put their brand on display, you know, let's get the project managers and the architects there to see that and have a meeting before the RFP process, you know, before that and get some depth of how creative office pavilion and our team can help you with your project. And you know this because a, you see our space and the brand that we're offering and B you're talking directly to our team and brainstorming and collaborating even before you need us. Because I think that's one of the misconceptions about furniture is that you get so you get involved so late in the process that, you know, you put the client at a loss almost if you have delays in, in furniture and especially now with supply chain issues, you know, it, it's not the best way to service the client. Well, yeah, I mean, we can have our own podcast on this right. but uh, episode, but I mean, things, you know, just because there's a just because you do things a certain way for a certain amount of years isn't the way that they need to be done all the time. I mean, we, I was just listening to uh, your last episode with Laura where they were talking about dirt and dirt identified that there wasn't a big innovation in construction since like 1916 with drywall, right? right. So we're all living through this futuristic you know, time with, but like to say that the RFP process needs to be a little bit more team oriented and who you're working with. Like when it gets down to it, like does my team work well with that team? Because we're all talking about collaborating and that we need, you know, we're all on tight deadlines and how we're going to do all of this. You know, there's obviously price is a big part of it. Like I think FF&E spend is like 30% of a project, but if it's that important, don't you want to know who you're working with? Don't you know who, like if this, if you're going to vibe with that team? So it needs to, I, I feel like a little bit come that part needs to come in earlier as a furniture vendor specifically. Yeah. We like we're in the streets yelling, like get us in early, get us mm -hmm. in early because mm -hmm. not just because we want to, you know, be in the project, but we need to speak with the electrician. We need to speak with the designer. We need to know how, you know, wires are being pulled. Is it a two plus two system? Like is it a three plus one? There's, it goes on and on and on. Are you coring? Are you this? And a lot of times that um, gets lost when we're just throwing a number at it and stuff. So I'm big on, you know, all that has to happen. You need to have a level process and be selected on, on, on fairness and, and price. But the quicker that team is brought on, more open and honest conversations right. can be had. Right. And I can meet this guy, oh, I have this, I've, I've been working with this AV guy for 15 years. That's the guy you gotta talk to. Like those conversations and connections and decisions definitely need to be um, happening earlier. And I think we're going to be forced into that. Like you, you kind of touched on it, like 12 to 16 week lead times, just, you know, four to six week lead times are turning into 12 to 16 right. week lead times. Sounds horrible, but how can we make it better? Like, let's start planning earlier. Let's, let's meet earlier and let's, you know, make decisions earlier because at the end of the day, we all have a responsibility to make the client happy right. to be on time and to do that. So 
planning earlier is never a bad thing. Right? Yeah, certainly so. And and again, too, it's um, that is kind of a little silver lining there. You know, due to the longer lead times now, they're, they're, they are forcing you to get involved earlier. So that should work out well, too. And, and again, bringing it full circle with office spaces, you know, becoming so much more than 80 percent desks, there's going to be so much more. Um, I call it soft furniture, but like yeah, soft seating, yeah, soft seating that uh, that needs to be procured and, and coordinated. And those are longer lead times. You know, and, that that's the stuff that takes longer. And COVID, you know, didn't do that. Right. Like the ancillary package was already becoming much more than the, the, the workstation package it, over the you know, before when I probably got into furniture. It was when it started five years ago. Um, and that's what I was trained on is like, there's this ancillary package that's gonna become bigger and bigger in the office. Yet that's already happened. And now it's gonna be like what COVID did is this ancillary package is gonna be completely different, right? Like with all this different stuff that's gonna be in there is how you're going to get that home feel in there. If the company wants to have their showroom, you know, their products in there, how are you gonna, how, how are you gonna help there? So it's gonna be interesting to see what the soft seating ancillary package you were just talking about what it looks like in five to 10 years. Right, and that's, you literally just took the last question out of my head. Um, this is what I kind of wanted to finish up on. You know, and, and think about it and be creative. What do you think the office space is gonna look like, or maybe even like the typical office building? Because again, we started our conversation talking about how that landlord was using four floors of amenity space. You know, what do you think in five years time, a typical Manhattan office building is gonna look like? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very fluid, right? It, you know, flexible furniture is already a thing, but you got like you're gonna want to have your user come into the office, right? And like that's not gonna change. But I think it's going to be more fluid, where you're not just on the 32nd floor. If you, if you're on the 32nd, you you have free range to go in from this floor or that floor. You're not assigned to a part. You're a part. Um, I think it's going to be very open and you're going to have a lot more of that homey feel but at the same time you're going to need to have just like little parts of the area where people come in and, and get their hour of work done i mean 10 years down the line uh, you know who knows like what's going what what new tech is going to all i do know is that it's going to have to keep up with the tech that's always innovating right like it's we're, we're always going to need to uh, adjust and, and be flexible in terms of the fluidity that you were talking about though I think what we're going to see is, first of all, it's going to take like massive rezoning efforts, but I think we're going to see like buildings being much more functional throughout. Like we're going to see like gyms on like the 32nd floor and like, you know, not like an office gym, but like an Equinox gym and like, you know, yep. restaurants on like the 12th Showers. floor. Right. Exactly. Daycares, like co-living, co-working, like buildings basically where they become their own like functional little community. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw that with WeWork, right? right? Like you got in there and you were a little startup that didn't want to, you know, needed a, you, you needed a place to fit in. So you, you had that community go in there, but now it's not just that little startup we're talking about. It's, we're talking about a 300 employee business that's right. going to have to do that and keep their brand. Right. And not just, you know, they're going to need to be the community. So to hear that, like you just said, daycares and, and stuff like that is is wild to think about but we're not far from it right right <laughs> i think so too and it's just going to be like the use of space like all of this space in manhattan like they're not going to get rid of it like you know they're not yeah. going to start like knocking buildings down but they're just going to have to find 
creative ways to to repurpose it and, I, and i'm excited to see you know where it goes and, and where it comes to and uh you know i'm glad that i get to work with people like you in the the industry you know we uh we got a long way to go together and um you know it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun ride yeah man i mean um we met like a couple of weeks that's ago that's what i'm saying and uh here we are and no i think like chats like this you know on a friday afternoon and, and just you know you know, talking and what we think is, is always a good thing, right? Like the more we, we connect and the more we throw ideas around, it's, it's never going to hurt. Yeah, definitely. So Francis, I appreciate you coming on today. Looking forward to uh, continued growth and uh, working together. Thanks, Jack. No, my pleasure. Appreciate it, man. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast at theadvancedgrp.com. That's theadvancedgrp.com.